Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On at Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Vayera. What's in a name and what can we learn from God's name? What's your Hebrew name? Yosef, named for my great-grandfather. Do you know anything about him? I met him a couple times. Uh, he was living in a nursing home in Atlantic City. Uh, by then I didn't, uh, you know, he didn't say much, but um, I've heard nice things. He came from Russia around 1903, I believe. You know, it's interesting. Usually in the Ashkenazic tradition, we name our children after those who ha- are deceased. Mm-hmm. In the Sephardic tradition, uh, people tend to name their children after those who are living, so you can sort of enjoy the, the honor. It's like you got a little best of, bo- best of both worlds there. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought about that. What about you? What's your Hebrew name? Um, my Hebrew name is Zalman, Zalman Dove. <laughs> just as an aside, I learned that the Hebrew name, that the name Zalman was, uh, had, had a uh, kind of negative con- connotation in Israel, like these kind of Bermuda sh- shorts that um, Americans tend to, war- to wear or tended to wear. Back in the day, you know, that was kind of a derisive, you know, they were called Zalmans. So oh, interesting. I, mean, well, I didn't take it as a great compliment, but I'm named after a great, uh, a great grandfather who I did not, I did not have the privilege of meeting. And one of the things that I regret is that I don't know anything about him and I don't have any way to, to learn about him. Zalman was a uh, derivative of Solomon, it was a Yiddishized version of Solomon, and so my father's name was Solomon, and his, and the person he was named for was named Shlomo, and uh, that's about as far as I know. Today, when I meet with parents who are having children, I invite them to write a letter to their child, you know, not only telling them some of the hopes and dreams they have for them, but also who their namesakes are, and um, who these people were. What are some of the attributes you want them to acquire and that they should keep the letter? So, you know, to share it at a bar bat mitzvah to see how, how those hopes worked out, but also just as a memento and something to, to hold on to um, from the past. I don't think we do enough of that, and I think it's really, really important to do. Yeah, you know, I've, I've often wondered, does the name change, the name you choose to affect the child's personality? Uh, does it inspire them? I think when people change their names later in life on their own, it's a sign of, of some intention or some ambition. But uh, does the fact that I was chosen, to, did the name change to the choice of Jonathan affect the course of my life? I, I tend to think probably not. No, but I, I know a good example of what you're asking about happens with Jews by choice. Mm-hmm. Because here are people who actually are asked to choose a name for themselves, right? So they have to choose their own Hebrew name. And so that's a very interesting thing. So one of the questions when we have a Beit Din, a court, to sit with Jews by choice before the conversion to learn more about them, they have to write essays. And one of the essay questions is, why did you choose the Hebrew name that you chose? Who was that person and what did that mean to you? So it's really interesting to hear people uh, people's thoughts about those and uh, the names that they choose and and sometimes how they relate to the name itself. I Recently, I won't identify the person. Their English name, the name they were given by their parents, is part of the floral and fauna world. Mm-hmm. And they chose the Hebrew name Neta, which means to plant. 
they wanted to honor their parents and the choice they made and kind of continue that tradition from a Jewish perspective. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's really nice. So the reason I'm asking you about names is that in the biblical tradition, names are more than what we call people in, in the same way that we've been talking today. They also go to the essence, the ikar, as we would say in Hebrew, of what that person is, who he is. So all of the names in the Torah have a meaning, whether it's Avram, the father of many, Sarai, princess, Yaakov is a heel, Esav is hairy, you know, Yitzchak is derived from laughter from his parents. So all of this is speaks to the essence of the person in some way or some aspect of the person. What's interesting is that in our portion this week, Vayera and God appeared, is that God identifies God's self by a very specific name. God says to Moses, well, when I identified myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was as El Shaddai. But now I'm going to identify myself as the four letters, yud heh vav heh, which is somewhat unpronounceable in Hebrew. And I will be who I will be. And so the rabbis, of course, are going to wonder about this and say, well, why, wait a minute. First of all, yud heh vav heh does appear uh, in the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what does El Shaddai mean? And they relate Shaddai to a word that you know from Passover, Dayenu. This is the God of so much, right? Mm -hmm. And when we say Dayenu, it will be enough for us, so enough. So what they're saying is, is that they only saw the covenant fulfilled so much. They knew that there would be a redemption. They believed in the redemption, but they didn't live long enough to see it. That redemption was going to happen in the time of Moses. The promise was going to be fulfilled in the time from Moses. And so God then reveals God's name, which is what will be, will be. And they related to the fulfillment of promises. I think that that's a really interesting idea, that God is both knowable and unknowable. We, we come to know God, not by the words, but what's around us. God is present in a more physical way than I think moderns give that credit. And I wonder how you think about that. Do you that, think that God is present in action or in concept? Well, I think that it's both. And I think that that's what I take away from this attempt at, at a new name is that it's a challenge to think about the concept more broadly and not to accept God as some kind of a simple, easily definable entity um, that by obscuring the name or by coming up with a name that is something of a riddle, it's pushing us to think outside of what names usually mean to us. Let me try something on you that I do with people in my work. There was a time, I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, when I was not above asking people whether they believed in God or not, which is such a <laughs> uh, kind of sophomoric mistake right. on a rabbi's part. But I learned to not ask that question because you open the door to all kinds of things. It puts people in an uncomfortable position. You inevitably bump into the Holocaust question. Well, you know, Rabbi, how do you believe in God after right, Holocaust? Right. that kind of stuff? So it becomes a loop, this kind of theological loop that's, I'm happy to have that conversation, but I think it doesn't take us in the direction 
that's going to lead us in a more positive vein. I ask people, how do you experience God? And that's a much more interesting conversation that will kind of flow from that. How do you experience God in your life? Well, and what would make you believe in God or at least see God in the world? That's an interesting question. Well, I guess I experience God and I, I see God in the world in terms of miracles. And I, I feel like miracles are all around us, that our existence is a miracle, that our minds are miracles, and that um, there's so much that I can't even begin to explain. And, uh, and the deeper and more I think about it, the, the, the more I find myself um, thinking about God, that there's no other way to explain all these things. And that's, that mystery of that is, is what I enjoy. I think the birth of a child, mm. you know, and I think there's a moment of wonder, a moment of awe. And what the Jewish tradition tries to get us to do is to attach that idea to a blessing, to acknowledge that what you're looking at is connected to God. So I will often ask couples when they're expecting a child to say the Shechianu, prayer. Praise to you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has kept us in life, uh, sustained us, and helped us to reach this moment, to say that blessing in the room after the baby, God willing, is born healthy. How do you bring God into the equation? How do you acknowledge? I think that that's a big part of what Jewish prayer is about, is trying to acknowledge that God is both knowable and unknowable. There's things that we can never know about God, and God's name is unpronounceable because we can't really even know God's essence. But what we can know is God's fingerprints in the world. And I think that's a big part of what it means to be a religious person. Do we look for them and acknowledge them? Yeah, I like that. I think the, the looking for them is important because if you're not looking, then it doesn't matter. Okay, so let's up the ante here. I'm pushing all my chips. I'm pushing all my <laughs> chips forward. Would you say that the existence of the Jewish people in 2023 is a proof of God? Yeah, I would. I don't even have to hesitate. Um, when I was talking earlier about the miracles and the things you can't explain, and you certainly cited a good one in childbirth, I think uh, the existence of the Jewish people certainly falls into that category. There's no way to explain how these folks and these, these rituals should still be around given the, the whole course of history. So yeah, I, I would definitely put that in the category of, of the miracles. The challenge, of course, in the moment in which we're living is the reality of just how difficult our existence is, whether it's dealing with growing anti-Semitism that we're dealing with in America, the way that Israel is being uh, portrayed in marches and things of that nature, that, that speaks to the challenge of Jewish existence. And the fact that we continue on in every age is, is to me, part of the miracle. I mean, in other words, God exists because we see God in the world. We acknowledge God in the world. Otherwise, God kind of recedes into the shadows. So part of what it means to be, at least from the Jewish perspective, part of Jewish belief is identifying God in the world, acknowledging God, going back to that Shechianu idea, acknowledging that our history is miraculous, that somehow we have a destiny is carrying us forward. 
and that is God. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, and it helps, I think, during these troubling times to think about the fact that it's a miracle that we're here. And that, as you said earlier, you know, that God is, you know, imminent and transcendent, that we don't have to be able to see or fully understand, but to know and to believe and to, and to carry on that way helps us get through. But there is a flip side to that. And the flip side is that we also have to acknowledge that while God has a hand in our history, or we wouldn't still be here today, we also have a hand in whether we're going to go forward or backward, if we're going to succeed or we're going to fail. That's also part of the equation, right? The fact that God is part of this equation doesn't guarantee the outcome. We have to guarantee the outcome. And I think very hard decisions need to be made in Israel, decisions for Jews and, and parents and their children and how we raise our children, how we teach our children and the tools that we give our children to live either in Israel or in the diaspora, that's going to determine our future as well. And so this is all part and parcel of how, we, how we're going to live and how we're going to succeed. But it all goes back to this moment where there were promises made, and we're living in a time where the promises have been fulfilled. The question is, how will we respond to that, and will we carry that forward in the best possible way? On that happy note, Jonathan, I thank you. Thanks, Rabbi.